so there are few points i would say first you would see uh, what's been unique about capgemini is several of the acquisitions we did several of those people are still with capgemini okay and most in leadership position so i give my own example i came from an acquisition okay uh, my cfo is sujit who used to be i get cfo okay and then you look at many other acquisitions we have done in the past okay lot of their leadership continues to be with us okay uh, so that's one way to look at it that we are able to retain especially in india lot of the acquired talent which came to acquisition that's one hi wherever you're listening to us i hope you're doing well welcome to the daily tech conversation where we bring you insights from tech entrepreneurs cxos and investors I'm Hari Arakli and today I bring you another episode of The Big Picture Conversations with global CEOs and technology leaders on how their companies and industries are changing. In this episode, Ashwin Yardi, CEO of Capgemini Technology Services India, talks about how the COVID pandemic validated and boosted the offshore IT outsourcing model. Today, it's more common even for Capgemini's European customers historically more conservative in part due to language barriers to directly engage with engineers in bengaluru for example where the paris headquartered company has its largest indian operations ashwin says he also talks about how the european heritage company with a track record of growing with big acquisitions offers a truly global multicultural opportunity for aspiring young indians considering the tech services space thank you for making time for this uh, i really appreciate it uh, ashwin and uh, somehow i had the impression that you're based in bangalore i didn't know that you're you're in bombay uh, does it help in any way being closer to the financial sort of center for you no actually it's not so much relevant for us being closer to mumbai or you know i think i've been born brought up in mumbai you okay. know so i have base in mumbai yeah. but i think every week almost every week Uh, i do come to bangalore it's our by far the largest location uh. i am in mumbai incidentally because i have, I have a house there uh, but i could be anywhere all right okay so i saw a lot of young folks walking around uh, masks are conspicuously absent so i'm thinking life is pretty much back to uh, more or less normal post pandemic when you have now most of your people working back in offices so uh, firstly i would say i, I think from a health situation things to be seem to be closer to back to normal mm-hmm. you know we don't hear any reported cases or you know uh, medical situations uh, in terms of uh, the back to office or you know our operating model we globally announced our own uh, version of hybrid flexi policy mm-hmm. you know so uh, it's it's consistently deployed around the world Uh, and as as you would have heard many times uh, i think the reality is uh, the model will be hybrid you know so what we have announced is anywhere between 30 to 70% uh, of our people uh, of the people's time over a period of month uh, can be in office or could be at home you know whichever way you look at it and again it's not one size fits all uh, so again the, the way it works is uh, every project manager based on the client requirements will come up with with a plan and uh, that's how you know you could be 30% you could be 50% you could be 70% and also it varies between uh, project phases you could have a project phase when you are doing extreme deployment more people come to office mm-hmm. so we are reasonably uh, in advanced stage of deploying it so almost Uh, all employees are coming to office to a large extent uh, but again by design it's not everybody comes to office all the days you know and that's how we working on our you know long term future model of uh, hybrid work mm-hmm. other other than that what are some of the other really big uh, permanent or lasting changes that you generally observe both within capgemini and amongst your biggest customers you know because of the way uh, things have changed after the pandemic 
Uh, what are some of the other big changes that you've seen how companies are operating? So, uh, you know, I think it's fundamentally linked to uh, the whole paradigm of future of work, you know. So, one part is, of course, a hybrid model, which I said, and it's very much uh, aligned uh, with our clients, you know, globally. So, when I talk to a lot of our global clients and we ask them this question, you know, unless, uh, you know, they are in intensely manufacturing business. Mm. And again, a lot of times, our direct clients who are CXOs, CMOs, you know, still are not actually directly into day-to-day -day manufacturing, you know. So, what we've seen is a flavor of hybrid model is global mm -hmm. uh, with most of our clients and they expect us to align to that model. So, that's one, one trend. I think there are a couple of other trends which are still in various degrees of uh, maturities uh, and something which is more relevant for India is then as a consequence how you hire talent where do you hire talent from mm. uh, so we will you know you would have seen some of the trend uh, there definitely would be more uh, tier 2 tier 3 talent uh, ma market evolution mm. uh, so we already have quite a reasonable footprint in some of the tier 2 tier 3 cities mm -hmm. So, I think we will start seeing more talent coming from there, you know, uh, you know, either, you know, again in the hybrid model or we'll have, we or our peer groups will have more offices. Like you see, you see it even in, even uh, in some of the mature geographies is probably clients will have a different locations than their, as in a lot of talent pool is moving out of uh, Bay Area, okay. Mm -hmm. And that's a similar trend you can you can uh, relate to. So I think that's going to be the second thing. Uh, third thing, of course, is uh, you will also have new talent pool uh, where they would probably expect to work from home hundred percent of time. So in which case you have a different uh, relationship. You know they could be your employee employees or they could be in a sort of a permanent almost like long-term contract model mm -hmm. okay so you'll probably start seeing a different flavor of uh, you know i should should i say you know may not be exactly employee but a, a, another flavor of uh, relationship you know mm -hmm. contractual and otherwise where the the talents you know not somebody who's going to come to office even in this hybrid model they prefer to work uh, in a very different way, uh, but still we'll have a long-term relationship, not necessarily only in a short gig relationship, but a long-term relationship, but slightly different. So I think these are a few things. Uh, of course, it will also mean a lot more focus on, uh, you know, new collaboration models, right. you know, which we, of course, a lot of it was piloted during the COVID time. Mm -hmm. you know. Uh, but that's going to be one part. Uh, it will also mean a lot more focus on security as in some of it was by default done the way it was because we had to rapidly move to a hybrid model. Uh, but now that's going to be long term people will have much more well defined security governance around it. So I think these are a few trends, you know, which we see from a work perspective, work and talent perspective. Mm -hmm. This is really interesting. What kind of uh, work would be amenable to having these contractual workers who almost never come to the office? Because uh, I would imagine that anything that's mission critical for a large customer, you will have to have people come into your main facilities. But these uh, sort of hub and spoke kind of networks where you have small sets of uh, contractual workers delivering parts of work that can be done outside of your offices. What kind of work might be amenable to that so uh, you know a lot of times it's going to be actually uh, a very specialized type of talent pool so let's say you know we let's assume we are working on a very complex uh, cl uh, client which is in a uh, atomic energy sector okay uh, now there are far and fewer clients we need some experts you know uh, just to give an example, we could 
you know we could need experts who are ex BARC or you know uh, or Baba Atomic Research Center experts or or even from you know experts from maybe Indian Institute of Science. Okay, but it's a long term engagement, and we need these experts on a uh, regular engagement basis to either uh, complement the domain skills of our teams. Okay, so we could look at you know. Th that kind of a talent, you know, specialized talents. Sometimes it could be linked to a very unique product, which again usually is very domain centric. You know, some technology solution which could be domain centric. Uh, again, in the bigger scheme of things, as Capgemini or as a client, we may not have the reason to build a scale and capacity in it. We would probably need somebody to be uh, managing that uh, or leading that program. Mm -hmm. So it could be in some niche technologies, uh, very domain centric or some specific things. It could be technology centric. You know, uh, th those are a few things. You know, I can think about uh, the primary thing in these things would be something which is more uh, specific and niche to the domain or a technology. And which for the organization may not be a, a need for a bigger scale. Mm. Okay. It, so that's what we envisage, you know, uh, the examples I gave you. This is really interesting because I was thinking more like maybe some support functions can work like this. But you're talking about some really serious specialists who could still consult with you or do some work uh, while not coming into your offices. Um, and in such cases, um, potentially they're handling really sensitive client information because if you're asking a nuclear physicist to do some work for you, obviously there'll be a lot of information there that you'll have to secure. So I'm thinking that you already all have built the underlying security infrastructure. Yes. So uh, even today, even today, uh, especially when we are working with any of the clients where there is sensitive information, you know, uh, we are tightly governed by first the physical infrastructure how we use it, you know, including the devices we use it, we use the networks we use, okay. Uh, and as well as then in several of these cases, a very tight NDA of, you know, the IP or knowledge sharing on information. So, mm -hmm. I think it's extending it to, uh, to some of these uh, roles. Uh, as I said, it's it's always going to be in a specified niche areas. Okay, it's not uh, going to be in a volume areas. Okay, uh, and that's why you know a lot of these talent pool would be mature and experienced enough to look at you know the sensitivities of uh, non-disclosures, IP protection, and of course then physically if there is an infrastructure requirement, we'll have the infrastructure which protects the security. And it's a lot of it is even today. It is just what has been proven is some of this can be scaled up somewhat more, uh, you know, because we could do it much better now. So we could we can see that it can be scaled up, uh, you know, and you can get better access to talent uh, through this approach. Uh, Ashwin, for, for folks who follow the IT sector in general, IT services companies uh, delivering out of India, uh, they would of course be very familiar with Capgemini, a multinational company, and one of the biggest uh, providers of tech services and consulting. Uh, maybe for a more general audience, you could give us a sort of quick snapshot of Capgemini India. How did it start and and give us a sense of what it's like today? Okay. So again, Capgemini uh, has its origins in Grenoble in France. Uh, so we started uh, almost now, it's more than 55 years ago. Uh, to to be a IT and technology services company. Uh, over the years, you know, we've expanded to many countries and uh, we started in India in 2000-2001. Uh, the origin of uh, India operations is linked to uh, the global acquisition of Ernst Young Consulting. Uh, so in 2000-2001, globally Capgemini acquired Ernst Young Consulting business. Uh, uh, and in India, there was a small uh, group of people, including myself. So I come from Unstanding Consulting origin. Uh, so uh, we had set up Unstanding Consulting uh, in 1997. 
uh, and by 2000 when the acquisition was announced we are around 200-250 consultants you know primarily focused on uh, those days were you know the big uh, craze of uh, business process re-engineering or, or what we used to call as package enabled re-engineering you know so that's what we used to do uh, as understanding consulting in India. Uh, incidentally, when the acquisition happened, there wasn't any footprint of Capgemini in India. So, uh, what really, it, you know, in India, it was more getting new visiting cards, new uh, new appointment letters. Uh, at such locally, we didn't have much of uh, no integration to be done. So that's how we started in India. Uh, at that time, we start. We were primarily based in Mumbai. And then, uh, of course, we started our operations in Bangalore. Uh, we have had uh, a few large uh, acquisitions globally, which had a big bearing uh, in India. So the first real large one acquisition was Canbay, uh, which was listed in the US. I think it was 2007, 2008. Uh, and, and before I go there, you know, the big focus of India as a group uh, delivery center or group asset started sometime in 2004 you know that was when uh, our current chairman uh, paul harmala you know and he was ceo chairman till few years ago he had a big vision for uh, india you know uh, so so he thought india is going to be a key driver for capgemini uh, growth so we started a big sort of india focused uh, transformation uh, mm -hmm. at a group level starting from 2004 uh, of course the big initial uh, movement was with north american geography because by that time north america was uh, already uh, into offshoring so big sort of uh, impact or was or impetus was in 2007 uh, 2008 when we acquired canby and canby was focused in uh, focused on the uh, uh, financial services industry you know to a large part which is now our uh, you know fs uh, sbu globally uh, uh, that almost doubled our headcount you know in india uh, then we had a you know lot of organic growth we expanded uh, to calcutta and with also acquisition of canby we had a footprint in hyderabad pune chennai uh, our BPO business also started growing. So we had a footprint in uh, Salem, Trichy uh, and a lot of organic growth. So India became a core of Capgemini group uh, transformation uh, and that's how we started growing organically. Uh, then again, we had a big another big acquisition uh, which was uh, iGate acquisition. Again, iGate was listed in US. Uh, uh, that added another big uh, impetus to the growth. Uh, so, so this office we're sitting is actually an iGate uh, mm. campus. Uh, and then uh, I think we we reached a key milestone of uh, hundred thousand in sometime in two thousand I think seventeen or eighteen. Uh, and then we had another big acquisition, uh, which is Ultran, uh, uh, which is focused on engineering capabilities. Uh, so with all the organic, inorganic, today Capgemini is 185,000 employees. Uh, more than 50% of Capgemini group is in India. Mm. Uh, and today, as our current CEO says, it's beyond delivery center. It is the business platform of the group. You know, mm. so may it be, uh, of course, delivery stable stake, but may it be innovation, may it be building a lot of new talent new areas of uh, capabilities uh, also in the social side you know what we do in sustainability what we do in digital inclusion lot of uh, leadership uh, initiatives around these topics uh, are driven from india you know uh, and of course now uh, with 50% of group in india all our large small uh, clients uh, all our key services you know are delivered from India. So today, you know, it's it's the core of the group, uh, mm -hmm. you know, uh, mix of both organic, I would say maybe one third of it is inorganic, two third of it is organic yeah. uh, over last 
last now 22 years yeah yeah i i want to ask about that down the line this uh, heritage of being a global company that has a very strong history of growing by successful acquisitions i'm, I'm going to come down to that i mean driving up to here i mean i had quite a bit of time so in the car i was actually listening to uh, iman's presentation uh, of your latest earnings results from last month and um, and i think one of his uh, colleagues mentioned that you all added some 35 or 1000 people in 2022 uh, i would imagine the bulk of that happened in india yes yes uh, and and through 2022 in in capgemini how does this work do you also like make uh, offers to freshers a year prior to when they get onboarded and so i'm thinking in 2022 you made some offers and those young people are now joining you this year i mean is that what's happening yes it is so you know generally uh, we do 50 to you know anywhere between 40 to 50% of our hiring is from campuses like every year we go to campuses we have gone even this year to campuses and you know as usual you know the the campus onboarding happens over a period of almost 9 months you know so we continue to onboard uh, and you know we continue to have a plans as in even as it's late as couple of months ago we have been hiring for 2023 pass outs we made offers and as in we have a plan of how they how they will onboard over as in they have been onboarded over last 18 months and continue to be onboarded over next 12 months mm-hmm. uh, are these numbers uh, confidential or can you talk about roughly how many offers you made in 2022 so uh, the we had given a number in 2022 sarika can share we have not given any number for 2023 you know we continue to hire both laterally and on campuses mm-hmm. uh but we not globally we have not shared the numbers of 2023 so mm. I, I, I no no that's fine uh, so w- whatever offers you all made in 2022 you've been able to honor those offers because uh, if you look at your uh, competitors the smaller ones or those of similar size uh, there have been newspaper reports where some folks have delayed onboarding uh, in some cases they have asked people to join at much lower salaries Uh, and i get that it's a reflection of uh, really bad uh, macroeconomic conditions and and worries about things getting even worse especially in your biggest markets so i just want to get a sense of uh, how things are uh, you know at capgemini i can say we have not revoked any offers we are continuing to onboard and anyways every year usually it takes uh, you know so we do significant as i said 50% of our hiring you know is on an average around campuses so it does take us around 9 months to onboard every year okay so it's not that it's not practical that we'll onboard all of them in first two months you know just the volume we do it i would say this year also it's probably delayed by a couple of months but we are in touch with all all the campus students to assure them that we'll onboard them i think what's also happened is uh, and it it and, and we can appreciate it is when they hear all these news uh, you know uh, when when somebody says okay we'll reduce salary or somebody says revokes the offer i think they have far more anxiety it is their first job we recognize it we're trying to keep keep them patient uh, but again as i said we are committed to onboarding all of them uh, it's maybe delayed by a month or two uh, but again we are talking to all of them to assure them they will be onboarded uh, we, every month we are rolling out dates for them to be joined so we have not stopped uh, freshers joining us and we have not stopped going to campuses even for future deployment mm-hmm. okay i i want to switch to this uh, uh, i think what i'm on referred to as repositioning of capgemini as the strategic partner of your cxos which has happened over recent years if i got that correctly you are also one of the global executives running this company um from your vantage point can you talk about uh, what you see amongst your largest customers in the us and in in europe um i mean in, in the broad sense what are some of the biggest challenges they are facing today where uh, the work that you do for them is relevant and then maybe down the line we can also talk about uh, you know how capgemini itself uh, you know is transforming it, you know the organization okay so uh, you know I, i think there is a long term and there is a slightly a tactical near term view you know so long term what we see is again without being cliched you know every aspect of uh, you know uh, service or product 
has a software in it mm-hmm. you know today if if, if you just look at it a an electric car has probably 100 million lines of code okay uh, which if you have to convert them into a physical book it's it's i think 60000 books of 300 pages each okay mm-hmm. if you reflect it back to the first spacecraft which went uh, which which lift off uh, it had 40000 lines of code okay so you can imagine how how many many folds of it is software softwareized you know just uh, i gave this example during nascom also is uh, if you i think today you have a refrigerator uh, and before you ask me it's i don't i have not seen it in india as yet and i don't have it but uh, there is a refrigerator of samsung which actually looks at what are the ingredients in your refrigerator it tells you what to order and it also can give you a prescription of what uh, what can you cook based on what's in the refrigerator okay so that gives you the context of uh, software ai enablement of everything we do okay and that's going to continue okay uh, traditionally probably financial services and telecom were the two industries which used technology as core to its product today it's in every business you know you look at every business uh, it's technology driven okay but most of the startups if you look at it they never re- relate themselves to be to be the uh, you know like if you say uber or ola they ne- never say they are car or taxi companies they say we are technology companies aggregating you know uh, the buyers and the sellers right so everything is softwareized which means long term there is a huge trend that there will be more software requirements okay in the short run of course you know with all what's happening in the macroeconomic or geopolitical uh, the consistent unpredictability of you know is it the last hike of us fed or it there will be one more uh, is bearing on lot of our clients okay and uh, industry wide but what's also good is you know just before davos world economic forum we had done some some survey of uh, i think it was around uh, 1000 plus cxos and what they said is then it's a big document it's available on our website you can have a look at it but something which is more relevant from how the outlook is is linked to you know some data points you know i think 40% of them still said they will spend on it and technology over next 12 to 18 months and i think almost two third of them reiterated that uh, they will use technology uh, either for uh, big investments in supply chain or also uh, cost saving initiatives okay so long long term there is lot more uh, initiatives and focus uh, to create new products new solutions i think short term considering the macroeconomic and uh, you know as i said the geopolitical situation the focus is more on how can i you know address the inflationary impact on the business so how can i save cost or also then we've seen a lot more uh, dynamics on the supply chain side you know you know and again we've seen india plus one strategy which uh, china plus one strategy helping us uh, so that's driving the investment on supply chain so those are the trends uh, we see that's what we hear from uh, our clients mm-hmm. and again then it it varies between uh, you know industry to industry like an industry like aerospace which probably was down and uh, mm-hmm. down 2 years ago uh, has such a booming business now you know we see it in hospitality we see it in uh, transportation again the auto industry is doing extremely well so again then the trends are more you know industry specific or at times very uniquely client specific so in in the short term medium term i mean again just briefly for the sake more for the sake of completion you know um w- w- with the european heritage and capgemini get, getting um, like a good 50% roughly of its revenues from europe including france um what is your perspective on what's happening with your Uh, biggest european customers i mean although they are also multinational companies with operations in the us and asia and everywhere else but uh, i'm just wondering if capgemini has a more nuanced sense of what's happening with the european customers than some of your competitors 
So of course, we have a large footprint and again, if you look at it, uh, when we announced our results 2022, 20, uh, you know, for us, uh, UK geography grew by almost 19%. Uh, again, you know, politically it's out of Euro, but yes, it's Europe, right, for us. So it grew 19%. Uh, most of our European geographies, you know, so Nordic, Sorge, uh, you know, rest of Europe, as we call it, uh, France, all of them had a very strong double digit growth, you know, and if I see probably in several of those markets, we would have gained market share. A uh, lot of it translates also into bookings for 2023. So which means, uh, again, uh, there is a long term view of continuing to invest in technology, you know, where we have seen even uh, stronger uh, Momentum is, of course, we do see auto companies making good investment, you know, either in new products, electrification, associated services, uh, you know, aerospace, we see a lot more investment, defense, there is a lot more investment. Uh, so, again, it becomes then, uh, and we have had some great success stories recently, also in some telecom. So, there are, comp you know, either it's very industry specific or uh, and Europe is big, so then, you know, it's, uh, again, specific geographies. But we see a good investment trend, you know, uh, and definitely certain sectors are doing much better than uh, others. So I'm thinking, I mean, when you get a large engagement, uh, if it's like, for example, if it's a big transformational contract that's running over several years, it's probably uh, a case of you deciding where you want to deliver it from, much of it probably from India, but... To what extent do your customers get involved in uh, you know, where the delivery happens? And I'm, the reason I want to better understand this is I want to get a sense of what your big European customers uh, are thinking in terms of how to uh, exploit the talent base that's available in India in general, and of course, more specifically with Capgemini. So, uh, you, you know, uh, frankly, in, in some ways, the entire COVID period has proved, reinforced the offshore model. Okay. First, uh, first and foremost, what, what was established is, you know, despite uh, all the cha challenges, all the perception of the infrastructure, uh, I think, thanks to all the telecom companies, thanks to, you know, various other support services, which, which are ancillary to IT, we could demonstrate that as an industry, you know, uh, and also thanks to a lot of uh, uh, policy work which NASCOM did, uh, we could demonstrate that uh, the IT industry could very rapidly switch the model from almost, if not 100%, 90% from office to 100% from home, you know. So, uh, that really reinforced that uh, you know, India could very quickly pivot in a new hybrid model. Then lot of, for a lot of clients, uh, it, it was a very, uh, in, in some ways, a revelation that uh, if I don't see my, you know, a French consultant or a German consultant sitting in front of me, unless they have very strong language limitations, it doesn't matter where it is. And then, of course, if the talent is in India at scale uh, and, you know, at uh, a different price point, it actually made more sense for them, you know. Mm -hmm. So, I think, you know, long, even we've already seen the trend and that was also one of the reasons of oh, very strong growth across the industry in 21, 22, is I think the, the model across industries uh, for offshoring has really got, uh, you know, sort of lift off as a consequence of COVID, okay. Mm -hmm. So, we see most of our customers uh, very strongly uh, embracing offshore, even in Europe, you know, a lot of new customers who were in early part of journey, they have accelerated it, okay. Uh, so, uh, as I said, the, the India offshoring model has really got reinforced uh, in some ways uh, as a consequence of how well we could uh, as an industry deliver, you know. And then, of course, in Europe, 
when uh, you know we are we are in a unique position that in any any of the large european countries we can give a perfect blend of having very local local uh, teams okay so while 50% of is in india we are also uniquely positioned at scale we are in all those local countries so in france of course it's our you know uh, home country any small town we we have enough people then uh, you can imagine or a larger part of europe you have huge presence in germany nordics in netherlands mm. so we are in a very good position to give them local uh, presence and then of course overall global model when they need the the blend of price scale capabilities coming from india so uh, you know in terms of specially dealing with our european clients who are in early stage or you know want to explore offshore uh, we we see a lot of clients have a uh, as in we are better position to attract them to capgemini mm. so today is it more common that uh, you will have customers from germany italy france um interfacing with uh, experts sitting out of bangalore absolutely absolutely as in every day if, you will if, if you go to any of our offices we we would have several of our customers coming to uh, capgemini in any of as in bangalore is our largest location but any of our offices and uh, and lot of their teams it's not only the cxos but there lot of their teams uh, have uh, embraced uh, working in india uh, and uh, as in to reiterate i think in, in some ways the the covid period has reinforced uh, or more than reinforced the offshoring model to india you know as a as an outside observer and and correct me if i'm wrong to my mind uh, in addition to learning about software or engineering or or any kind of specialization one other interesting opportunity for any young person considering a career in this industry uh, if you know if she wants to look at capgemini might be that unlike the large indian heritage companies of course they are also very global companies today but they started out as an india heritage company you are a, a europe based company with a, a history of several large acquisitions being very very multinational and global from the get go so i'm just wondering that if that offers a different perspective for lack of a better way of putting it because my vocabulary fails me perhaps it gives them a more global way of looking at things uh, i could be wrong i'm just sort of thinking aloud absolutely absolutely so again uh, you know the, the unique part of capgemini is i think i, I would I, i would be surprised if anybody has such a strong uh, european local footprint okay uh, we of course i have a really good local footprint in us also so what it really gives is you know a, a far more uh, multicultural opportunity for our consultants to work with it also gives them opportunity to you know be in those countries more more often or on engagements uh, but definitely i think you know again if you look at our portfolio uh, 30% of it comes from the us uh, around 10 10 50% comes from europe uh from uh, asia pac latam or less so bulk of 65% of our portfolio comes uh, from europe you know all of europe including uk so uh, you know it's a unique uh, portfolio or client base of course the clients are also international it's not that they are just local and you know uh, we you know it it definitely creates far more stronger opportunity for them to work in european environment i think at one point of time probably uh, outside of any schools we might be doing the maximum training in the french language for our consultants you know so uh, you know, and of course we do it for several other languages but you're right as in uh, coming from such a strong european base we do have that uh, differentiator which is uh, more europe centric offering a multicultural environment truly multicultural you know not being cliched about it have you looked i'm sure you all must have looked at uh, i mean in the context of employee retention you must have looked at uh, uh, measurements like in on an on average 
how long a person stays at Capgemini versus uh, a competitor. And, uh, this is just something that came to my mind now. I'm wondering if uh, there are any interesting measurements that you all make like that and, and what you found. So I, I, as in, I don't have Cap benchmark uh, benchmarks of, I'd, I've not seen benchmarks of the industry, you know. But I would just give two or three data points, you know. Uh, so firstly, you know, again, some of the data points have shifted as an industry over the last few years, you know. Traditionally, uh, I think when I meet uh, the, the freshers we hire, you know, I've spent more time in Capgemini than, uh, than their age, okay, which they can't relate to, okay. Uh, so, and so, so there are a few points I would say. First, you would see uh, what's been unique about Capgemini is several of the acquisitions we did, several of those people are still with Capgemini. Okay, and most in leadership position. So, I give my own example. I came from an acquisition. Okay, uh, my CFO is Sujit, who used to be iGate CFO. Okay, and then you look at many other acquisitions we have done in the past. Okay, a lot of their leadership continues to be with us. Okay, uh, so that's one way to look at it that we are able to retain, especially in India, a lot of the acquired talent which came through acquisition. That's one. Secondly, traditionally what we always saw is once people complete, I think it was somewhere four plus years in Capgemini, then they have stayed for much longer. Mm -hmm. Okay. So that's what we've seen. You know, uh, now of course what we see is a new trend and that's again what it's not linked to Capgemini, it's industry and it's global is today's workforce, you know, the freshers we hire or, you know, I don't know, Gen Z or millennials, whichever way you want to look at it. They have a philosophy, they will, you know, as we call it, they will do multiple companies tour of duty. Okay. Mm -hmm. So it's like you join a company, you be with them for a couple of years. In fact, a couple of years might be too long for them. Then they will look at another company. And it's not that they don't like it or, you know, it's not a particular reason. It's the way they look at their careers they want to shape. Okay, so then I have a philosophy that at least people should find Capgemini as an attractive place to be in their tour of duty of first years, four years. Okay, and which I believe we have been, you know, if I look at internal, uh, you know, employee surveys or if Glassdoor is a good indicator of employee surveys, uh, you look at it for last consistent several years, we have been four, uh, you know, one of the highest in our peer group. So, which shows and the amount of talent acquisition we could do in last two years especially, which shows people do find us attractive uh, to be with us and they also, you know, for those who are Gen Z, they find us attractive to be in their tour of duty. Mm. Okay. Mm. So, as in, in that sense, I would say, uh, you know, there are some unique points about Capgemini, you know, uh, and uh, as in, it reflects how we manage, attract, retain talent. Overall, you must be following what's happening with the, generally with the talent pool in India as in relation to the IT services industry. Uh, if you look at that, uh, today, what are some of the things that you feel optimistic about and uh, what what might worry you? I think, uh, Frankly, I always, you know, the scale at which India continues to bring in the, the STEM talent, okay, uh, is something which we need to be very proud of. What also is very interesting is also, as in, since this is, there's a lot of discussion on, you know, this is the week of International Women's Day. Uh, I was just discussing, as in, it's very unique that India, at least in the IT industry, you know, most companies would have entry level, at least 50% of talent are women, okay, which is very unique. With the world over, there is a whole debate about women in STEM. When I look at at least India, I don't see it as a, at least at an entry level now. Do they continue with their uh, career and how many women we have in leadership? It's still a work to be done. But that, those are some things which I feel, you know, I, and then you just look at, uh, you know, the startup ecosystem, as now we have the third largest startup ecosystem, 
uh, interestingly there are many bright who don't who are not going to us but they are trying try, you know which used to be trend when we, i did my engineering uh, who, who want to be in india set their own startups uh, so i think the vibrancy is even more than when we were in we started the industry or we were part we started in the industry so i think on the talent side uh, we need to I, I think we are in a very good uh, place you know i think what worries me is uh, you know with uh, with uh, as it said in many different forums right with our demographics you know we are you know we have the youth population which probably in itself could be the third largest nation okay and this is where how do we continue to create uh, engaging opportunities for them okay uh, and it's not going to be limited only to it you know i think we need you know it or only not only to services so i think uh, you know it's more about beyond it how would we continue to create uh, you know the right economic opportunities uh, for you know probably 500 million youth uh, of india is probably something which you know is an opportunity it is also something which we is uh, we need to really intensely think about i mean on the one hand you have large numbers of engineering graduates coming out of our colleges and over the many years you all have built very strong uh, training factories if i can put it that way but are there areas where you still find it uh, really difficult to get uh, experienced people whether in india or elsewhere because i think uh, you all also have mentioned this talent scarcity uh, in your commentary all oh, the all oh, the years so the you know it's it's always linked to the evolution and the maturity of the technologies mm. you know so what has happened is in last probably 5 6 years you know the intensity of various technologies in uh, digital either digital customer experience or the broader digital area the area of the entire the cloud transformation okay uh, the area of artificial intelligence or you know uh, data analytics it's exploded you know so what's where you still have a scarcity is uh, people who would have completed 5 years 6 years because the reality of it is uh, some of these started probably 8 years ago okay so you know the it industry in india started picking up maybe 7 and 1/2 years ago okay so anyways you would have started small so where usually you see scarcity is the experts okay especially people and and some of these technologies are relatively still nascent in the life cycle of it okay so yes uh, as in ai has been there for several years but when we start looking at the tools around ai the consumption of ai in a broader uh, you know software industry it's picked up really in a big way in last 7 8 years okay so then do you you know where do you find how many experts can you get who have 6 years of experience and that's where you see scarcity in some of these technologies more so in the expert area okay uh, now if you look at it uh, do i have somebody who's exp- experienced in sap uh, uh, you know erp yes we have hundreds of them not only in capgemini in the industry would you have somebody who's expert in their latest module no because very much it's latest you know so it came out and that's also another trend which you know uh, as naiman's comment was broader global but the trend also for us in india again is uh, you know there used to be a time when a new product will come the customers will use it and then they will look at offshoring that after 2 years to india okay today as soon as a product comes in the next day the client says how many people you have in india ashwin certified and can start tomorrow okay so that uh, you know the latency of expecting a talent scale in india from the time it's introduced in usually in the us has almost become zero okay which creates its own scarcity and demand okay mm-hmm. so those are some you know sort of the putting putting it in the context of what i man said okay i know i have to let you go very soon uh, one or two last questions what got you to stay on 
uh, in the IT services sector. Um, uh, I, mean, I know you you have an engineering degree and you also acquired uh, management and finance qualifications formally. Uh, so when you moved from EY to Capgemini, what did you find interesting about uh, coming together of your skills and the IT part of it, and what got you to stay on? So again, uh, I, I you know I still love numbers. My teams tell me I'm very good at numbers. Maybe some of it comes from my my finance orientation. Uh, but uh, again, it's you know so first as an industry and opportunity. You know I started as a consultant. You know as I said, doing the classic. Those were the days when BPR was, you know, was in the vogue. Uh, so that's the part of consulting I did. Uh, and then again, when we started in Capge, uh, Unstanian to to start with, we had a very unique at that time uh, uh, sort of uh, offering. We call we used to call it package enabled reengineering. So you do reengineering, but on the back of a package, either SAP or Oracle or whatever. So that's how our mood started shifting, bringing some of the domain expertise, but moving to technology. And of course, then that expanded at a different scale of geography and technologies when I continued with uh, Capgemini. And frankly, you know, uh, you know, we have a new new tagline. Uh, we call it "Get the future," you know, you want. And I always tell Sarika and the marketing team that. Uh, they don't use me as the brand ambassador, so I'm not on Capgemini posters. But uh, personally, I have had the experience of leaving that brand campaign in last 25 years. You know, so I had the opportunity of working on in all the continents uh, except Africa. Uh, I've worked on multiple tech. I've been trained on at least four different, uh, trained and certified on four different technology products. Worked on them uh, and then grew through. You know the, the classic. You know, being a code developer to consultant to program manager to being a, a practice leader to a CEO and now CEO. So, you know, and in all these acquisitions, you know, in all these acquisitions, every transformation Capgemini has done managed to get a you know better role and a better uh, sort of uh, career in every transition we did. And that's what I tell the team is, you know, uh, even if it's acquisition, I come from acquisition, uh, building skills, you know, the global mobility of role or geography, you know, I've had it all. That's what we offer. And, you know, uh, you know, that's that's what's kept me going at Capgemini. Excellent, sir. Thank you so much for very generously making time for me. I really enjoyed this conversation. And I always like to say I definitely like to continue the conversation, keep it going. Thank you so much again. Thank you. That's it for this conversation. I hope you found it interesting. You can find all our podcasts at ForbesIndia.com and on your favorite podcast app. I'm Hari Thank you for listening.